right, so with that, if this is your first time with us here at the Vineyard, whether you're joining with us uh, here at the Sanctuary or whether you're joining us in uh, online over the past few months, uh, we have been in a series that I am calling God Wins, to where we are looking, we have been looking at the book of Revelation, and as most of you already know, uh, next Sunday, after 12 years, next Sunday will be my last Sunday here as senior pastor at Gate City Vineyard Church. And um, as, I, as I've mentioned to, to most of you, I'm not stepping down because of any moral or spiritual failure. I promise you there's no Jim Baker or Jerry Falwell Jr. shenanigans going on uh, in my life. Uh, the, the board is not firing me or running me off. Uh, I'm not stepping down because there's anything wrong with the church. The church is in a great place. Even though we've all gone through a pandemic, I love this church. Uh, but as I mentioned through different meetings, phone calls, uh, Zoom meetings, uh, my family, Christina and I and Grayson, uh, we just feel that our life is in a different place than it was 12 years ago when I became the head pastor here. And so we've spent a lot of time over the past several months praying about this and discussing it and we feel like that God is calling us to turn uh, the page on this chapter in our life and even though it's not easy change is never easy we feel that this this page turning will not only benefit our family but it will also benefit Gate City Vineyard Church and I'll have some more pertinent words to share next week during my final message as senior pastor but I'll save those for next week, but I just want to reassure because I still keep getting text messages from people, are you still going to be a part of the church? Yes, even though I'm stepping down as head pastor, we're not leaving the church. This is our church family, this is our church home, so this is where we'll be. Now, while I don't think next Sunday will be the final message that I ever preach here at Gate City Vineyard Church, it will be the final one is senior pastor. So over the next couple of weeks, I want to end this series in the book of Revelation. Uh, I want to end my time uh, as senior pastor here by talking about your future. I want to talk about your future, and I want to talk about my future, and our future together that goes beyond our time here at Gate City Vineyard Church. And folks, this future, you may not feel like it this morning, but if you are surrendered and you are trusting in Jesus Christ this morning, the future that we're going to look at beginning today and next week, it is not only absolutely certain, it is an absolute certainty. It is also glorious. Your future is absolutely amazing. And this future that we're going to look at should not only impact and affect where it is that we're going, but folks, this future that we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks, it should impact and affect your life in a glorious way right here and right now as we understand where we're going to go. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend this week and next week wrapping up this series, looking at the final two chapters in the book of Revelation, that being chapter 21 in chapter 22. And so today, what we're going to do, we're going to start looking at chapter 21. And all I want to do is I want to look at two verses. Two verses, the first two verses from chapter 21. And then I will make a few comments about them. Or as I oftentimes do, a few hundred comments about them. So, anywho, so if you have your Bible with us here this morning, 
Or if you have your Bible at home, turn to Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 2. And this is the Apostle John. Again, the vision. It's the vision that he has of your future and of my future. He says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. He goes on. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at this word, as we look at your word, as we look at this vision that you gave the Apostle John some 2,000 years ago, and you actually told him to write it down. And when you tell him to write it down, what you're saying is it, is it wasn't just meant for the people who read this back then, but it was meant for your people for all times and all places. You told him to write it down so that we could see this vision and, and capture this vision that he had, not only of his future, but of your all people, of all your people, the people of God. And so, Father, I pray whatever it is that we're feeling here this morning, maybe this morning we're feeling down, maybe we're feeling depressed, maybe we are looking at the world and seeing all the craziness that's going on and it's really getting us down. But, Father, I pray beginning this week and next week as we look at our future and we look at the future of planet Earth and this universe, I pray that you would give us a sense of overwhelming hope. Because what we're going to look at and what we're facing right now, this is not the end. It does not stay this way. But again, what you gave John in these final two chapters of Revelation, this is where the world and the universe is headed. And Father, I pray that as we capture this vision, I pray that you would help us to see how relevant it is for our life in the here and now, regardless of whatever it is that we're facing. I pray that it would give us an overwhelming sense of hope. And Lord, we love you and we thank you. And we pray and we ask these things in the name of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now, this new heaven and this new earth, I, I, I want to be very clear. What we just read here, what John just said here, this is, is a renewed earth. It is not a replacement earth. You can skip to the sermon graphic. So this, this is a, it's, it's a renewed earth, not a replacement earth. If you're watching from home, how about piping in? This is a renewed earth and not a replacement earth. I'm going to go in much more in detail about this new earth next Sunday. But for our time here this morning, contrary to what many well-meaning Christians have, have you know, believed or, or what they have been taught, maybe you have been taught this, but folks, what is being said here, let me just again, very clear here. The earth is not going to be destroyed. It's not going to be destroyed. I've heard this from people for years, again, well-meaning people. Well, you know, one day, you know, big comet is going to come in and crash into the earth and it's going to destroy it. Or, or we're all going to blow each other to kingdom come with nukes or, you know... Climate change is going to destroy the earth, folks. That's not going to happen. And folks, God is not going to destroy planet Earth, this home that we live on. And people will often go to, they'll go to the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3. And they'll say, well, you know, Peter there in chapter 3, doesn't he say that 
that God has reserved the earth for judgment and that he is going to judge the earth with fire? And folks, Peter does say that. And yes, it is true. God is one day going to judge planet earth and he is going to judge it with fire. But folks, God is not going to incinerate the earth. He's not going to burn the earth up and then create a whole brand new one and, you know, that's heaven. No, that's not what's going to happen. And that's not what Peter is saying here. What Peter is talking about in, in 2 Peter chapter 3 is this. Is that when you look at scripture, Old Testament and New Testament alike, fire is oftentimes used as a metaphor for purification. It does burn stuff up. It does consume stuff, but it consumes stuff in order to salvage what God wants to salvage. In other words, it burns up the stuff that, that shouldn't be there. And so this is a purifying sort of thing. The Apostle Paul tells us in another place in Scripture, he says that every single one of us in this room, in fact, every single human being that has ever lived, and will live, we are all going to pass through this fire one day. And that fire that he is talking about, he is talking about the fire of God. Scripture is very clear. You've probably read it in several places. We are told that our God is a consuming fire. And that is speaking of his passionate love. It's speaking about the fire of his holiness and his righteousness and his true character. So the Apostle Paul tells us that on Judgment Day, at the end, when Jesus returns before the eternal state of things begin, that every single one of us, we are going to pass through this fire of God on our way to our eternal dwelling place. And Paul says that whatever it is that is about us, that is built up, that is made up of, of wood or stubble or hay, it will get burned up. In other words, he's using that, that wood and that stubble and that hay. It's talking about those deficiencies. It's talking about those negative things in our lives, the things that aren't good. Those things will get burned up. But he says, whatever about us that is like precious stones or whatever about us that is like gold or silver, those good things, those great things about us, well then those things will go through the fire, but instead of being burned up, they will be purified. They will be refined. Those good things about us will become even better. And so as we pass through this, we're now fit, as it were, to enter into God's eternal kingdom. Another thing that scripture is very clear about, nothing unclean will enter into God's eternal kingdom. Nothing. Nothing that is untrue. Nothing that is impure. Nothing that is unloving. Nothing that is unrighteous will enter in. And so folks, what this fire is like how many of you took a shower this morning? Some of you didn't. Some of you over in this section right over here, I can kind of smell it. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Most of us took a shower. Well, folks, you can think of this, this passing through the, the, the fire as being, you know, like some sort of shower that we take before we enter into the kingdom. And, and this shower of fire, if you will, it, it, it completes 
the process of sanctification. It completes the process of discipleship that we're all working on, that we're all walking in and working towards on this side of eternity. So folks, this is actually good news for those who, who are trusting in Jesus and, and for those who, who are surrendering or have surrendered their life to Jesus. But, not so good news. For those who are dead set against God, for those who just continue to resist his goodness and his love and his forgiveness, those who just keep resisting to the bitter end, Think about it. Wood is not compatible with fire. I, I, I made a fire. My wife bought me this, this brand new little fire pit. And, and I, over the past few weeks, I really enjoyed it. It's gotten cool. But you put a piece of wood on a fire, what happens? It, it gets consumed by it. But gold and precious stones and, and silver, it gets purified. So if your heart is towards God, if you are moving towards him, if you are surrendered towards him, then, then that heart is compatible with God. Then that fire of God's passionate love, that fire of God's true character, it is going to refine you. It is going to purify you. Again, if a person is dead set against God and keeps on resisting God, to the very end, well, then that heart is not incompatible or not compatible with the reality and the character of who God is. And so that's a person's judgment and the natural consequences to be consumed. So this is good news for those who are trusting in Jesus and, and not so good news for those who are not. But folks, that means this, this time that we are living in right here, right now, in between the first and the second coming of Jesus Christ, that means that you and I, this is a time for us to begin to learn how to yield, to learn how to begin how to surrender, to learn how to be obedient, and to learn how to become more compatible with our great King and God. And so everything is going to be purified on the day of judgment when Jesus returns. Whatever needs to be burned up is going to be burned up. And whatever can be salvaged, God is going to salvage. He is going to purify and he is going to refine it. Now, what I want us to see here is, is this. is this same person, the same person who's going to go through the fire. It's still going to be you. As you pass through this, this fire shower, this fire process, it's going to be you, but it's going to be the perfected you. Ladies and gentlemen, there will be a perfected Todd Oakley in heaven. It, it, it's still going to be me. I'm still going to have my same personality, my, that same being of who I am. It, it, it's just going to be the perfected me. In fact, you probably will not even notice the difference between the perfected Todd in heaven and the Todd that you know right here and here now. Amen. Amen. I'm sure my wife, Christina, right now is probably spitting coffee at the computer right now. I'm kidding. But in all seriousness, think about Jesus here for a moment. Jesus is not only our Savior, he's not only our Lord, he's not only our God, he's not only our teacher. Jesus is also our prototype. 
Right? If you want to know what, what the perfected you is going to be like, well, then we just need to look at the, the resurrected Jesus. Folks, if you remember the same Jesus, it was the same Jesus before the resurrection as it was after the resurrection, but he, he was transformed. He, he, he had his resurrected body, but it was still him. And so, folks, we're going to be purified like that. We're, we're going to be transformed, but it's still going to be you. It's still going to be me. It's still going to be us. But it's going to be the refined and the perfected you and the perfected me. And in the same way, the earth is going to be perfected, but it will be the same earth. Again, it's not going to be a replacement earth. It's going to be a refined and a restored earth. And so then John goes on and he says this. He says that I, I you know, he sees that this new earth, he doesn't have a seed. And I don't know about you guys, but when I first became a Christian, do you know what the first book of the Bible that I read was? Revelation. A lot of people are familiar with this book, even though they're not Christians. And so when I finally became a Christian, I wanted to figure out, man, when's this end time stuff going to happen? I want to try to figure out when Jesus is actually going to come back. Did I figure it out? No, I didn't. Not completely. I have a lot more enlightenment now. But I didn't figure out everything. But I remember reading this passage to where John says, I, I, I didn't see any sea. There will be no more sea. And I remember it making me sad. And the reason for that is because I love the ocean. How many of you here love the ocean? Or rivers or lakes. How many of you love to swim? How many of you have ever surfed before? Some of you have. But most of us here, we enjoy the ocean or we enjoy lakes or we enjoy rivers. Again, I love the ocean. And one of the things that I love, I've been out on the ocean on the boats or boats a few times to where you're way off the shore, to where you can't see the land anymore, that all you can see is the ocean and the sea around you. I love that. You know, you can just see the horizon, and it just sort of, you know, creates a sense of infinity. But again, I remember reading this passage, and I remember thinking, what is it that God has against oceans? What is it that God has against lakes and, and rivers and big bodies of water? Well, first of all, what John is describing in this passage that we just read, it is not a literal sea. Guys, remember, the book of Revelation was written in what is known as apocalyptic language. A lot of symbolic or symbolic type language. He uses a lot of metaphors and symbols, especially from the Old Testament, to, to show us theological truths. What he's describing here about the, that not being any sea left anymore, it's not literal, but he's describing a truth. And what he's describing is this. See, when you go back and you look at the Old Testament, the sea, the ocean, was oftentimes used as a metaphor to describe forces of evil that threatened the world. The, the, the ocean and the seas was oftentimes used as a metaphor to describe you know, chaotic forces that, that wage war and fight against the, the purposes of God and what God purposes for our life and for cre creation. And so it's really all referring to an ancient Near Eastern way of thinking to the reality 
that the environment of this world is oftentimes hostile towards the people of God. I don't think I need to twist your arm to convince you of this, but folks, we live in a spiritually polluted world. Right? We're currently living in this world under the domain of, of principalities and dark powers. And what we refer to now as dark powers and principalities, they referred back then to the sea. And so John is saying, hey, there, there's going to be no more sea, and, and that's good news, folks. That's really good news. Because right now we live in a world, a very spiritually polluted world, that, that is just as polluted as smog is in Los Angeles on, on a very bad day. How many of you ever, any of you guys ever been to Los Angeles before? A few of you. The smog is just, ugh. And it's always funny, you know, it only rains like two months out of the year in Southern California. I know you've been there. But it's funny that the smog is like very thick, but whenever it rains, you actually can see the city. You can actually see more than 10 feet in front of you. And you go, man, this place is actually not that bad. I understand why people move here. But then about a day later or two days later, then the slob comes right back and fills up the entire city. So everything right now, this time that we're living in, everything is smoggy, everything is foggy. But when this new earth comes, this new Jerusalem comes, and there will be pure spiritual oxygen, and it's, it's going to feel great. There'll be no more bondage. There'll be no more evil, there'll be no more temptations, no more sickness, no more disease that Satan brings. There will be no more sea. So one of the reasons why it's going to be a renewed earth. And then John says this, put up verse 2 again. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And again, I'm going to unpack more of this next week. But let me just say this. This new Jerusalem that he's talking about here, which is your eternal abode and mine, it's, it's not so much of a place, but it's really a who. This new Jerusalem it's you. The new Jerusalem that John is talking about here, he's talking about, he's using it as a metaphor for the people of God, and he's also describing it as being the eternal dwelling place of God. If you look in the Old Testament, where did the Old Testament, under the, the Old Covenant, where did God reign? In the temple in Jerusalem. So again, John is borrowing from that. He's saying, no, now this new Jerusalem, it's not just a place, it's actually a people group. It's you, it's me. And in this people group, in this new Jerusalem, the church, the bride of Christ, God will dwell with his people forever. And so again, John here, he, he's, he's unveiling, you know, God's bride. He's unveiling the fulfillment of God's purposes for all of creation. He is unveiling God's victory, what God had in mind all along from all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 to dwell with his people. 
one of the things that's very significant about that is that the time that we're in now, the smog world we're in now, we don't always see the beauty of the bride. We don't always see the beauty of the church. You can look at me right now, and despite what I just said a few moments ago, it, you know, I, I don't look like a beautiful bride. If you want to say amen, go right ahead. <laughs> And I don't look like a beautiful bride just because I'm a man. I don't look like a beautiful bride because right now, you know, there's still things that, that I have in my life that are not compatible with my bridegroom. And so, you know, Jesus, again, he's looking. We know this. Most of us know this. He's looking for a bride without spots, wrinkles, or blemish. And he's looking for a bride who has similar character that he does so that his bride can actually sit on the throne with him and reign and rule over this new heaven and new earth. We're going to look at that more next week. Good folks, you may not realize this, but you are actually, God loves you enough. He loves his bride enough that you are actually going to reign and rule with him. That's pretty amazing when you think about it, that the God of the universe is willing to share his power, his authority with, with you and with me. But folks, there's still stuff in you, there's still stuff in, in me that, that needs to get burned away. We still believe lies. We still have wounds that need to be healed. There's still stuff to be done in us. But here, Revelation is saying, it, it's saying, look, someday... It won't be like that. Someday there won't be any more stuff for you and I to, to refine and to work on and to overcome. One day, whether you realize it or not here this morning, you are going to shine. In fact, how about we all say that out loud together right now? One day I'm going to shine. You're going to shine with the, with the radiant character of your, of your heavenly view. I love what the Apostle John says this in, in his first epistle. I'm going to put that up. See what great love. Let me stop here for a second. Not just love, but see what great love the Father has sprinkled on us, just dabbed on us, no, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, and as a result of that, we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what will be has yet been made known. In other words, what he's doing is, he's actually emphasizing. Because I know how hard it is for us Sometimes to think, you know, I know God says I'm a child of God, but I so don't feel like a child of God sometimes. And so John knows this, and so John is emphasizing it. Dear friends, now he's emphasizing it. And what we will be has yet been made known. Again, you're a child of God here this morning, but if we're honest, sometimes it doesn't always feel that way. And he goes on and he says this. But we guess. But we think. 
But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. There needs to be some hallelujah and shouting going on right now. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. No more smog, no more fog, no more pollution. We shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Describing the here and now. He's describing the future. And as a result of the future and who we are in our future, he's telling us what we should be focusing on and what we should be doing in the here and now. And folks, that, that's really good news. That very character of Jesus, that purity character of Jesus is going to consume all of that bad stuff that we carry around with us. And he is going to make us compatible to be with him. Think about it. It is going to burn away all of your failings. It is going to burn away all of the condemnation. It's going to burn away all of the shame, all of the guilt, all of the sin, all of the mistakes, all of the anxiety. It is going to burn all of that up. And you and I are actually going to share in the very character of Jesus Christ. And so right now, we can sit here. I know you're going, man, you know that sounds so great. Man, it sure doesn't feel that way. But folks, guess what? One day, the bride of Christ, she's going to take a really good shower. She's going to brush her teeth. She's going to get her hair done. And she's going to look beautiful. She's going to look absolutely beautiful. And folks, what that means is this. Think about this for a second. If this is who we are, and this is who we're going to be, and this is a promise that is being made to you, what does that mean? It means a couple of things. First of all, it means this. You're sitting here this morning, and you're struggling with alcohol. And it's been a struggle for you, well, guess what? One day you're not going to struggle with alcohol anymore. If you struggle with addiction, whatever that addiction may be, whether it be drugs, whether it be a shopping addiction, whether it be an approval addiction, one day you're not going to struggle with that addiction anymore. It's going to be gone. If you struggle with anxiety, if you struggle with fear, if you struggle with depression or condemnation or despair, well, guess what? You are not going to struggle with that stuff forever and ever. One day, all of that is going to be gone. You are going to be completely free from such stuff. And folks... I know that with me saying that, some of you are like, but wait a minute, I, 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 okay, that's true, I get it, but I still struggle with that stuff, you know what? I get it, we all struggle, we all fall. But folks, one of the things in light of this truth, if this is true, and this is who you are, a big part of what that means right now is that when you and I stumble, when you and I fall, and we will, and we all do, that means that you and I, instead of staying down, we need to get up. 
We need to get back up. And we need to keep moving towards this vision, towards our bridegroom, towards this truth of who we are. Someone once said that a saint is a sinner who got up. How about typing that in the comment section below if you're watching at home? A saint is a sinner who got up. And folks, I know it's hard when you struggle with these things. And you say, I, I just can't see myself in that light. I know we're all going to fall and we're all going to come short in this life. But folks, when you get down, you get back up because you see this promise and you see this truth of who you are in him. What you're struggling with right now, whatever it may be, folks, your identity is more than that. That is not who you are in him and that is not who you will be. And so, folks, a big part of what that means is that right now, I, I, I've heard people say this before, okay, get, I get it, that's who I'm going to be, but, you know, I, I guess I'll just wait until that day comes. No, no, that's not how it works. Folks, again, what we're doing here, right here, right now, is that we're living in light of our coming bridegroom and him making us compatible. So even though we fall, even though we make mistakes, in this process, in this time that we're here right now, we learn how to live in the truth of who we actually are in Him. Folks, this is why discipleship is so important. This is why, you know, live praying, reading the Bible, serving looking at who Jesus is, looking at who we are in him. This is why discipleship is so important and such things are so important. Why? Because we are actually training right here, right now, for who we already are. Discipleship, when you ultimately put it into its true meaning and its true context and its essence, is what, what, what is it? It means that you and I are learning how to live in light of who we already are. That's what that means. Folks, this is good news. This is really good news. Again, with whatever it is that you're struggling with, that's okay, we all struggle. But again, when we see who we're going to be and who we're ultimately going to become, again, instead of staying down... Oh, we, we get up and we continually to move towards this vision, this truth of who we are in Jesus. One last thing that I want to say here this morning about being a bride in this period that we're in right now. And all throughout Scripture, you'll see, you'll see that God, you know, you'll see metaphors of what I just read. You know, God describing, you know, having a relationship with his people like a parent to a child. But then you'll see all these other descriptions about how God wants to have a husband-like relationship with his people. As a husband towards a bride. That he wants that same type of passionate, intimate relationship with his people that you see in what, you know, God intended marriage to be like. And so some of you already know this, but as far as in the, the ancient Israel tradition, 
when, when it came to a, a wedding, when, when, it, when a, a Jewish man and a Jewish woman would get married in ancient Israel, it was sort of a two-part process. And again, some of you may know this. And so they would get engaged, and it's different than our engagement. Actually, back then, you, you were legally married during what they called the betrothal period. And so even though the wedding hadn't happened legally, you were still married during you know, that, the betrothal period. And you just couldn't leave an engagement like we do today. You would actually have to get a certificate of divorce. And so whenever a husband or a future husband and wife would come together, a man and woman, again, it was two parts. So they were in this betrothal period. And so when they agreed and they, they yes, we're going to get married, they would oftentimes have a, a little steel meal together and, and, and in light of this big feast and this big ceremony that was happening. And so the groom would go away and would try to gain, you know, get gainful employment, try to build a house, try to save money to get ready to come after and to come get his bride for their wedding day. And so the Jewish uh, woman there, the Jewish wife during that time would often hang around with, with other Jewish wives in the community. And she would learn how during that period to learn how to be a good wife. And so when you think about it, during that period, it was what? It was a time of preparation. It was a time to prepare for the big wedding day that is coming. And folks, that's the time we're in right now. We're in that time of betrothal. And we have, you know, ceremonies that we engage in that are foreshadows. They foreshadow that, that big day, that big wedding day that's coming. What am I talking about? I'm talking about baptism. Baptism is a symbol. It's, it's an example of saying, hey, well, welcome to the family. You're a part of the family. Welcome to the bride. And then communion. What is Communion. I know we haven't been able to celebrate communion because of COVID. But communion, again, is a foreshadowing of the wedding supper of the Lamb. All the foreshadowing of this wedding that is coming. And folks, you see Jesus, what? When Jesus came here the first time, over and over again, he presented himself as what? I'm the bridegroom. Bridegroom, and I'm looking for a bride. And Jesus said, Hey, I'm going away. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And when I come back, this place that I have prepared for you, you will be with me forever and ever and ever. But folks, we are in that period right now of our betrothal to where we prepare, to where we learn how to live in the promise that our heavenly bridegroom has made to us. I'm taking you to be with me and you will always be with me. And I will make you compatible to be with me. But folks, what that should do for us right now is again, even though we do it imperfectly, that we learn how to live 
in that compatibility with Jesus in the way that he is going to be with us. And folks, this is why things like discipleship, this is why things like, you know, praying to hunger and to thirst after the things of God are important because, folks, that wedding day is coming. It's coming. You may be single here this morning, and you may never marry anybody in this world, but I promise you, whether you're a single man or whether you're a single woman, you are going to get married one day. Your wedding day is coming, and your bridegroom is coming. And folks, the goodness of his fire that we're all going to pass through one day, it is going to cleanse us, it is going to remove all the filth, the muck, and the mire, all of the hurt, all of the pain. And one day our character will be just as pure and righteous and holy as Jesus is. Amen? Amen. So worship team comes back up. Heavenly Father, just pray right now that you would help us. Again, this is good news. This is really good news. But Lord, again, as we spend these next couple of weeks just again looking at our future, who we are in Christ, who we are in you. Father, I just pray that whoever is struggling, whatever it is that we're struggling with here this morning, whether it be something physical, whether it be something mental or emotional or spiritual, I just pray that, again, that you would help us to capture this vision of who we are in you. And then, again, whatever the struggle may be, I pray that you would help us to have the hope that we realize that one day we will not struggle with these things anymore. And as a result of that, that not only gives us hope for the future, but it also gives us hope for the here and now. That even though we struggle, as we all do, and you know that, you know that, and you love us anyway. Begin, I pray, Father, that when we fall and we struggle, that you would help us in light of this promise and this truth of who we are in you, that you would help us to get back up and to continue to move towards <coughs> the truth of who you are and the truth of who we are in you. And that as the people of God, as this church, that we can also encourage each other in the likeness of our shortcomings and our weaknesses because we all have them. And Father, I pray that this day, that, that, that when you will purify planet Earth and you will purify us again, I pray that, that again, that, that's not, that shouldn't scare us. That's good news because that's part of our redemption that we're going to be made whole, we're going to be healed. And we're going to become who we are in you. And Father, I just pray this morning, if there's someone who does not know you, someone who is resisting, someone who is wandering away from you, whether that be a person in here or someone who is watching online, I just pray, Holy Spirit, right now, that you would just convict them of your good and holy and powerful and righteous love. And that they would surrender to you they could taste and see your goodness and taste and see your love for them. And that everything that they're searching for in this world, 
will never satisfy. Only you will satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. And that in you, their future is not only bright and wonderful and amazing, but their present time is also meaningful and purposeful and loving. And they can sense the presence of who you are right now. Your kingdom has already come. It's not here like it will be when you return. But the kingdom is here now. And we can experience your kingdom right here, right now. Even in the midst of this present earth and this present life that we're living. So, Father, I pray that as we sing together this last song, that you would help us to remember that you are a promise maker, you are a promise keeper. And the promises that you have made to us in the present and also in the future, they will come to pass. They will happen. And I pray that that truth would anchor us in this current state that we find ourselves in. And Lord, we love you and we thank you and we pray and we ask these things in the name of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, and all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Worship.